0: Hello, and welcome to the Korean Beauty Show podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Lee. K-Beauty expert and founder of Style Story, where you can learn, shop, and explore the world of Korean skincare. On today's episode, I have a really special episode for you, and that is because I sat down with another veteran of the beauty industry and of K-Beauty, and that is Sarah Chung from Landing International. Now, Sarah has worked with over 300 brands and retailers since 2003, and one of the K-Beauty Beauty giants that she has worked with was Amore Pacific. And believe it or not, she started working with them before they were even known as Amore Pacific. Back in those days, they were just called Amore. So Sarah is a font of knowledge when it comes to all things K-beauty and has seen firsthand the explosion of, you know, Korean culture, skincare brands, and brands in general across the last couple of years. So she She has a really unique and interesting perspective on the growth of the industry. So we sat down and had a chat about all of that, plus where she thinks the industry is going. Now, one of the really exciting things that she has been working on is a new app. So she has been developing a B2B web and mobile tool, lots of tools actually, that help emerging beauty and wellness brands succeed at retail. And one of her big areas of focus has actually been indie brands. So Sarah herself has been really instrumental in the global indie beauty movement, particularly in North America. So I hope that you will enjoy this chat. I had so much fun talking to Sarah. Uh, She knows so many things. So please enjoy uh, and make sure that you give her a follow on social media as well. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Korean Beauty Show podcast. Super excited to have you on. Thank you, Lauren. I'm so excited to be here. Excellent. So I have, uh, I guess, so many questions for you as someone that has been working in the space. uh, And you were obviously born here in Korea before you moved back to the States. So I guess I would love to know a little bit more about your background and how you got started in beauty in the first place.
1: Yes. So um, as you mentioned, I was born in Korea and uh, we uh, immigrated unsuccessfully to the U.S. because we immigrated when I was six. And then we went back when I was 11. And um, I grew up uh, for the rest of my uh, um, academic life in Korea until university. And then I went to the U.S. And um, pretty soon after I graduated school, um, I moved to New York and um, I started doing consulting work um, in the area of market research. And um, I would say a few years after I started that, I um, started doing business plans for beauty brands. And so I stumbled acro- across it because a former coworker of mine was starting a beauty brand. And this was just at the time that was like 2004, 2005. 2005. When, um, you know, Sephora was on the scene and department stores used to be the only game in town of where uh, brands could launch. And it was very cost prohibitive because it used to be like back in the day, you would pay like $200,000 for like a counter at a single location. And so there weren't indie brands. There were just no channels. And then Sephora came along and then Ulta came along and there were a lot more avenues for smaller brands. And then it created an um, M&A landscape. For brands because they were brands getting bigger, and so um, I actually stumbled on um, a niche for myself where I was helping brands to raise money to go into retail. So I've been in the beauty industry since 2005, and um, it just happened that one of my early clients was Amore Pacific, which at the time was you know a Chiba in Korea, but still in is the US. Yep. <laughs> yes, uh, at the time, you know, not much has changed, um, but. You know, it used to be Amore, where you know no one used it. It was like things that your mom would use, and um, they completely rebranded and created this uh, line for the U.S. market called Amore Pacific. And um, I worked with them in a consulting capacity for about five years, and that was my first foray into K beauty. And I think um, I never imagined it would get so big and be you know such a huge part of my career and even in the beauty industry it's not i don't consider myself to be honest a beauty aficionado and so it feels, uh, it feels like happenstance that I sort of have built a career on beauty and K beauty, and find myself here today on a Korean beauty podcast.
0: <laughs> I feel like so many people have that story, particularly when it comes to K beauty. Uh, and I think maybe part of that is because you know this whole industry has just sort of sprung up from, from seemingly nowhere. Although obviously the people that were involved in making K beauty what it is today wouldn't say that. So I guess maybe you've kind of already answered my next question, but I just wanted to understand a little bit more of how much of a role did Korean beauty, maybe philosophies or products play in your life? But maybe before you got into it and after, obviously you would have been impacted by working with Amore Pacific.
1: Yes. Um, Well, I think in general, um, when what I didn't realize, because I just think it's normal, because that's what I grew up with. But then later being in the beauty industry, and then seeing the beauty habits of people that, you know, didn't grow up in the same environment that I did, I realized that Korean beauty regimens, and uh, philosophy in terms of um, layering in terms of um, serums, and that's something that I grew up with, like even my mom, she really, you know, would press upon um, toning, moisturizing, You um, know, she would do like the egg packs at home and she would do um, treatments with like cucumbers. And so I just thought, okay, that's what everyone does. And it wasn't until like I got to college and saw so, like, you know, maybe like how a roommate would shower and like wash their face with a shampoo or something and that I was like, oh my God, like, is that what people are doing? Um, so I definitely feel like I had that base where your skin is very important. You take care of it. You know, you apply SPF religiously. And, um, I think that in, but in the, in the way that K-Beauty was introduced to me when I was growing up in Korea, and you may have heard this where we didn't like Korean products. Yep. We wanted <laughs> Japanese products. We wanted uh, French products. And those were like the high quality. And that's something I think that's been a major shift because now people who used to say like, oh, no, we only want the wedges, like now they want, uh, you know, domestic brands. And I think that's a trend that I, you know, I'm so proud of that we, you know, we're creating things that we want to use and that are have become a global standard of, you know, excellence and innovation. And um, I think that uh, it's kind of come full circle in, in terms of being, you know, proud of, you know, where we came from, and, you know, being involved in this industry
0: hundred percent. And definitely, I mean, I remember even when I first started in K-Beauty, it was like the stuff that was sold at the Pekwa John, like department the stores, they were all foreign brands. And now you see a really good representation in all of the offline stores of, of the domestic brands as well. So definitely I've noticed that change even since I've been here. I guess I'm super curious then to know what were the beauty trends when you first got started working in the industry?
1: I feel like there was a lot of peels. That's what I remember because when I first started out, it was like around the era of cosmeceutical brands. And so it was a lot about science. It was, there was a lot of like very um, high active ingredients. Um, And then there were, you know, a real reliance on moisturizer. So I didn't feel that the emphasis was on sort of like the um, nourishment side. So like the serums, the, 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 the moisturizing toners um, that I feel like the ingredients that K-Beauty is really known for. So like the hyaluronic acids, the different vitamins, and then, um, you know, even like things like snail mucin, um, bee venom, you know, we've kind of done it all, but I feel like that that was a shift because like ingredient wise, we were really science-based and it was a lot of harsher um, products. Whereas K-Beauty, I do think that in general, they tend to um, be gentler. And it's not like a heavy layer of cream. It's more about like layering multiple layers of moisturizing. So I think that um, was a bit of a shift.
0: Yeah, that's, I I noticed the same. I mean, growing up in Australia, definitely it was all about like dousing any skin issues with like the harshest ingredients you could find and then just piling on the makeup to cover up anything left over. Whereas I feel like thanks to K Beauty, that approach has really changed and people have understood that like your skin and the condition of your skin should come first and then makeup can enhance what, you know, what you have underneath. So I've definitely noticed that as well. Uh, I think you've already answered my my question then about the the main changes that you've seen with with K-Beauty but is there any like big ticket thing that you're like K-Beauty used to be about this and now I see it going this way is there anything like that?
1: Well, I think just as an industry, you know, even from like, let's say 2015 to today, um, I think for like the first four years, the innovation coming out of Korea was like, it was just like one after the other. And I think you've seen the stats of like, at one point there were 8,000 new brands a month, you know, it was that crazy. And, um, and then being on this side where I was representing K-beauty brands to US retail buyers, uh, it was literally like you know, anything K-Beauty, they were open, what's new, what's next. And I think, you know, as the industry has matured overseas, and also, quite frankly, as, um, you know, the companies themselves have sought other avenues for revenue, um, I, I think it's kind of shifted to become more of like the world's cosmetic uh, manufacturing Um, hub than it has been about the brands themselves. So I still think that there is a lot of innovation um, in the industry, but it doesn't seem like it's really under the guise of K-Beauty anymore. And it used to be, you would see like, you know, um, something new from K-Beauty. And then a year later, you would see kind of like the big name U.S. brands with a similar product. But now they're pretty much launching at the same time. So I think the shift is like, you know, I don't feel like the wow factor is enough or doesn't exist for it to be the competitive point. It really now has to be about brand building. And when, you know, you build a brand with consistency and with um, a relationship with your consumer base and you're like building your fans one by one. And I think that's really has to be the shift and focus of K K beauty brands because it's, um, I think in Korea, the mentality is a bit different. It's, it's very much like, okay, what's like the coolest new thing? And it could be like a one product story. Whereas uh, the US, we still do want a regimen. We still want a full assortment. We still do want like a brand story of it to go deeper.
0: Definitely. We've been talking about that a lot on the podcast about some of the different global brands that are manufacturing here. But certainly in the American market, I think K-beauty is not enough. To sell a brand, if there's not something more, whereas when it was first, uh, you know, being talked about in the mainstream media it was so different and so like crazy that that got a lot of brands over the line just because it was a talking point uh so I've definitely noticed that so I guess that you you, you're answering all of my questions in advance
1: okay we're just in like a nice groove I know I
0: I love it so you you've touched a little bit about the the fact uh, on a little bit about the fact that you help brands and Korean brands as well but tell us about Beauty Fluent?
1: Yes. So uh, Beauty Fluent is a new product that we launched earlier in April because um, as you mentioned, I don't just work with Korean brands. We work with indie brands of all shapes and sizes. And so whether it's just like a wellness brand, whether it's a female-owned brand, a minority-owned brand. And I think the biggest struggle for smaller brands is um, being able to compete once they're in retail. Because once you're in a physical space, it has very uh, specific requirements. And one of them is to train adequately the sales staff. And that's something that's very difficult when you're at a retailer like Ulta and there's 1300 stores across this huge geographic space of America. And so you see that a lot of brands ultimately fail because they haven't acted quickly enough to engage that sales advisor to be a fan. Um, and they also don't have the resources to be connecting with them or communicating with them in any kind of regular basis. So the idea behind Beautiful was really can to be, can we um, level the playing field? Whether you're a big brand or you're a small brand, you're going to have access to be able to communicate uh, the benefits of your brand and product to the person who's representing it to the customer. And I think that we, you know, we have seen so much great feedback, particularly from the beauty advisors, because number one, they are beauty enthusiasts and they want to learn more. They're hungry to learn more. So they love access to all this information. And also they love finding out the brand story, who's behind the brand. Why did they create it? Give me more than I can just read on the packaging. And so um, we, we launched, um, as I said earlier this year, we work with uh, brands that are sold at places like Ulta and GC Penny because those are the places with like, you know, a um, large number of doors and really need that support.
0: Sure. So you work with then a whole lot of different brands as part of your your business. And how did you move, I guess, from being a consultant with Amore Pacific into setting up this whole brand, this whole business in the States? Tell me about that.
1: Yes. So I think I had been a consultant for so long at that point. I think it was over 12 years. And I really wanted to build something because the great thing about being a consultant is like you're in and out and you're not responsible for the results. Um, But the bad thing is you're not really um, creating anything that 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 will sustain over time. And so I thought about, okay, what do I know how to do? What do I want to do? And it really, you know, I had built a technology product before that had to, you know, that we were using in my consultancy. And I wanted to create a technology product that would help um, this cross border uh, work in relation to what I knew. And that was at the time, you know, beauty products. So again, I kind of stumbled across that. I don't feel like there was like any real grand plan Um, and I think what enabled me to succeed, um, in that element was, um, I didn't have to sell myself. I could be a consultant to the retailer and I could be a consultant to the brand. And that fit for me because I think that I'm actually not a great salesperson when I'm having to sell something that, you know, comes from me. But if you want me to represent your interests, um and help you understand the value of another party. That's kind of like where I think my comfort zone is. And then it just kind of expanded on like what are the, you know, what are the services that people need? What are the white space in um being able to succeed in retail? And that's really how we created beauty Foot because we we're, were like, okay, there's a huge area that no one is addressing. And we have the relationships with the retailers, we have the brand, so let's just build it ourselves.
0: That's amazing. And it's so interesting how many people didn't set out necessarily to have a career in beauty. I think that's a really common thing is that people were doing something else. I mean, I used to be a lawyer. I definitely did not dream of working in the industry. And certainly career was not on my list of destinations for my career either. But I think sometimes you just, you realize that you've picked up more than you th- thought you knew about lots of different things and you can actually play this role in connecting. Uh, and I guess having that experience of having you know been raised here in Korea and then moving to the States, it's just like all of these things from, I guess, your background enables you to play that role a lot easier uh, to link people together. I think that's a really exciting thing, too, particularly with K-beauty in general. It's just the way that. People are getting to experience so much more of, you know, Korea uh, and getting to learn a lot about like all the different philosophies and seeing K-Beauty become part of this global beauty trend has been pretty cool, uh, like for me personally, and I'm sure for you as well to see, you know, all of these brands grow and flourish in a new market and then impacting on what other brands and retailers and things like that are doing. Uh, You know, like the indie beauty space, like you said, that didn't used to be a thing. And now I feel like it's, you know, a lot easier for people to start their own yes. brand, more easy than it's, it's ever been before. Uh, so I guess, uh, you know, how has the pandemic impacted, you know, the work that you do and how do you think Beauty Fluent can help bridge that gap?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the pandemic um, really slowed things down in terms of in-store, but I think what it did actually when it started to lift and the vaccines were more readily available is that it, it really reinforced that people um, love shopping for beauty um, in person because it's, it's a very um, sensorial thing. You want to touch it. You want to smell it. Um, you want to see textures. And so I think that in-store is stronger than ever. But I think that what it did was also make us more conscious about, um, you know, how things are being tested, how things are being distributed. And so I think where the natural flow into beauty flow has been is like to be able to see the textures without having to open up every product right? and also to be able to be trained, um, without, you know, having to have, um, too much exposure to the product in and it's, it's hard for people because they weren't sampling for a while. They weren't, you know, actually even like allowing people to open up products in store. So I think Beauty Fluid um, kind of was able to play a role of like, okay, this is what the color shade would look like. This is, you know, swatching. This is what the texture is. And and so it really kind of dovetailed nicely into what we were facing um, at the time. And I think now, you know, it's that like consumers are still very... Very wary and conscious about like how they experience things in stores, and so we're just really trying to support the beauty advisor, um, deal with the customers in the way that they feel most comfortable.
0: Definitely. I mean, we've had the same thing here in Korea as well throughout the pandemic, that testers were sort of all covered up in plastic. And it really does, as a as a person that's wanting to try, you know, you go in store because you want to try these things and want to understand what's going to be right for you. It does kind of create just that extra layer of difficulty, uh, you know, in knowing what's going to be right for you. And it takes away a lot of the fun of it as well. But, you know, now that everything is kind of lifting, but that's such a, a genius way of, of letting everyone still experience what they're going in store for in the first place, you know, the the swatches, the shades, all of those kind of things. I mean, that's why we go in in the first place is to, you know, to experience all of that and to know in advance. Uh, And particularly for staff, that's literally their their job. So I'm really, really curious to know, as someone that has obviously worked in the industry, worked with so many great brands throughout your career, is there one beauty tip or trick that you feel like changed your skin or changed your makeup that you would like to share? Yes. I'm
1: embarrassed to admit this, but I really feel like double cleansing and cleansing oils really changed my skin. And I'm not saying that I was uh, not washing my face properly before. But I think because I have dry skin, but also tend to be on the oilier side, um, washing with oils actually helped me so much, like not to dry out as much and actually to control the oil. So I feel like that's something that I would um, never give up, that that's something that really like stuck with me. And I believe in double cleansing. um, I believe in um, cleansing oils and Um, nourishing your skin while you're cleansing. So that's definitely something I would say that has changed my skin.
0: I could have given the same answer myself, honestly. I just, I harp on about it on the show all the time, but it just really, really does. It improves so many things about your skin, the texture, like I, I was saying this, I think just last week that it's shocking how much is still left on your face if you only cleanse once. You know whether it comes to like washing sunscreen off or makeup or anything like that. Uh, so yeah, that is a really great one, and I, I'm glad that we are on the same page with that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to I guess the trends, and I'd be really uh, keen to hear your uh, opinions, particularly as it relates to offline in the state. Where do you see the trends moving in 2023?
1: So, I've been on a lot of panels and um, sort of like participating in different discussions about what is the future. And I think right now it seems a lot about technology. Right. You know, it used to be about, you know, certain products or trends um, and brand categories. But now it seems like, especially with, you know, the pandemic being over and really Insta coming back stronger than ever, we're exploring a lot of different ways how we can use technology and this idea of how do we use technology to um, make our shopping experience um, easier, faster, more um, accurate. And also this idea of, you know, now it's not just about online or in person, but it's also adding like a virtual element of it and kind of having this like um, multi-dimensional shopping experience. I think people are talking a lot about that because where like AR um, and like the metaverse has been um, something on the fringe. Now I feel like a lot of people are talking about it and how do we use those things and how do we um, interact with our customers virtually and kind of It's no longer about omni-channel, but it's about like shopping without barriers. And so, I feel like there's a lot of discussion about that. um, That nothing has, um, you know, been solved for, but we're we're wanting to do that. So it's maybe it's being able to, you know, shop for colors like, you know, through Oculus, or it's being able to have access to a customer service person um, who's able to see what you have uh, on your uh, nightstand, so they could you know, more customize their recommendations for you. But there seems to be a lot of discussion about how do we use technology um, to ease the customer experience. And then also something that I'm interested is how do we use technology, not just for technology sake, but really to help uh, um, elevate the values that we're saying that we have as a society. And that may be about Um, environmental factors like sustainability zero waste it may be about cruelty free could be about representation diversity inclusivity and so then how do we use those technologies like not just to like have like a cool new gadget in store but to uh, help us to shop based on um, the values that we're saying that we have as consumers
0: that is so, so fascinating. It sounds super futuristic. Like it sounds like the kind of thing that if you asked someone in the 90s, what do you think we'll be doing in 2023? They would have said something like this. Uh, it sounds expensive, a lot of this. So, I mean, hopefully as more of, the, more of the technology can be developed, you know, they can bring it to ordinary ordinary people as well. I, I'm sure someone's going to have to do a lot of work to sort of develop develop all of these things. Yeah. But as a consumer, fascinating so helpful yes. as well uh I'm excited I, honestly that sounds so cool I mean that's that half the battle is knowing you know all these different things before you make a purchase do you know what I mean like what's going to be the yes. it, it's that paralysis that can be really really hard for people there's so many options I don't think there have ever been more options Uh, and it's the tyranny of choice you think you want more options but when you do sometimes that can paralyze you and you don't know what you should get you know we we get a lot of really really confused people reaching out and they're like look I've heard about this that or the other and I I don't know where to start like what is the one thing that's really going to make a difference so I feel like all of this kind of goes into that to give us the information we will need in real time to actually make informed decisions so so yes, I'm excited. 2023, bring it on! <laughs> Thank <laughs> you so much for chatting with me today. With ch- for chatting with our listeners, uh, I would love people. I'm sure will want to know more about you. Where can they find you? Where can they follow you? Are you on social? <laughs>
1: oh yes, um, and my team would die if I didn't promote my social. Uh, I have an Instagram account <laughs> called um, Sarah Has Landed, and then the app is uh, Beautiful and Pro um and um i thank you so much for inviting me i had such a good time talking to you getting to know you more and hopefully we'll be able to see each other um you know in real life at some point
0: yes definitely you'll have to let me know when you're in korea next i uh, i would love to meet up and chat more about this has been absolutely fascinating so thank you very much uh and i hope our listeners have enjoyed this chat thank you it's my pleasure I really hope you enjoyed my chat with Sarah today. I find it really fascinating how beauty brands, offline retailers, uh, and even online retailers are using technology, AI, and all of these kind of things. I think Sarah's right. This is definitely the future. The way that the industry is trending, uh, and. Apps like Sarah's Beauty Fluent app is just a really exciting example of this. Uh, it's so true too that you know if you are working on a, the beauty floor at one of the offline retailers. It is next to impossible these days with how many products and brands there are to know intimate details of every single thing. Uh, And who is more important to know these kind of details than the beauty advisors in store that are actually telling you what you need to know to make an informed purchase? So I think this is fascinating. Uh, Well done to Sarah for developing this kind of technology. Uh, And I, for one, am super interested to see where this part of the Industry goes. But the idea that you would have all of the information that you need at your fingertips really will help ease a lot of the anxiety, (laughs) particularly. I know as someone that, you know, you have to get your head around so many different products and brands making tweaks and changes, upgrades, uh, and sometimes just altogether throwing out the old and it's in with the new. There is a much quicker cycle that brands are doing these days with their products, and that can make it even more confusing you know you can't try everything uh, and you know if pro- if brands are throwing out products and introducing new ones every two years having this kind of technology at your hands is going to be so much more efficient so much more effective uh, so thank you so much to Sarah for joining me today I would love for you guys to go and follow Sarah to follow Beauty Fluent and also her company Landing International I have incorporated Included all the details in today's show notes for you. Thank you for joining me again and I will be back in your ears next week for another episode of the Korean Beauty Show podcast.